Everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Uh, this is our third investment roundtable. Just a reminder, this is not investment advice. Although, no, no, actually not even, there's no caveats there. This is not investment advice of any kind. I just was curious, though. So we last did one of these at the beginning of February. Well, we first started doing these in the beginning of February. And don't you know, we did talk a lot about crypto, a lot about Bitcoin. And did you know that since we started these roundtables of market forces, crypto, and investment stuff, the price of Bitcoin has virtually doubled. I'm not saying it's entirely due to us, obviously. Uh, but no, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, which is why I say this is not investment advice, but it is pretty damn useful. So thanks a lot for joining. For those of you who listened as we started or listened to me yammer on about Bitcoin over the last Lord knows how many years, I appreciate you coming by. I hope that you have found the practical use of philosophy in your own economic environment. And uh, thanks, of course, to the people who are joining today. We're trying a little bit different now, throwing on a little bit of video. Uh, although, of course, most people are not joining with video because uh, I begged them, uh, because they're free domain listeners, they're just massively more handsome than me, uh, except for, well, anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so, of course, I've just begged them not to make me look bad by looking so good. So here we are. Uh, it's been a week since we first started doing these things, a week and a bit. Price of Bitcoin has doubled. Uh, other cryptocurrencies, Doge, Ethereum, uh, and, and so on, have seen some pretty significant gains. Of course, a bit of a ro roller coaster with the other ones. The price of Bitcoin does appear to be holding steady at, uh, what is it, the mid-40s US, around 60K, a Bitcoin Canadian. I like that. I like that. I don't like a continual increase. I do not like a continual increase because that is, for me, the definition of a bubble. You know how you climb stairs? You know, if you sort of look at it in slow motion, you climb stairs, you go one step, and then there's a little bit of an equilibrium and a pause, and then you go to the next step. Or when you climb a ladder, you're not flowing like water upstream. You're just uh, taking it a step at a time. I want there to be uh, an increase in the price, obviously. And then I want that price to stick there for a little while because that means people are making money. It means people are selling, people are buying. And when you sell and you say, hey, I just got twice the price of a good car out of my Bitcoins, uh, people are like, wow, Bitcoin, let's hear more. I mean, I did a show last night with John B. Wells, uh, who is uh, the, the kind of voice that gives you a spinal massage if you had headphones on. And uh, he was asking me lots of questions about Bitcoin, which is great. Love to hear it. Love to talk about that kind of stuff. So I'm pleased. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm happy. Uh, I've, I've gotten the messages from people who uh, have uh, um, decided to look into Bitcoin, and it's been somewhat helpful to them, to put it mildly. Um, I'm very pleased about that. Uh, you know, the more that we can liberate ourselves from fiat currency, the better off. I got a little giddy last night and fired off a couple of, I guess I could still refer to them as tweets. I don't know what you'd ever you'd call them these days because it's on a variety of social media platforms. You can follow me at freedomain.com forward slash connect. It's a bunch of social media platforms if you still want to get my rantings and ravings, and uh, yeah, fiat is dead. I mean, it's a, it's a strong statement, and obviously that this could be a dead cat bounce, and just because you're dead doesn't mean your fingernails stop growing right away. Trust me, I've buried enough bodies to know that one very, very intimately. But the, um, the reality is that uh, the, the price of Bitcoin to me, and I want to know what you guys think, but the price of Bitcoin to me is not a reflection fundamentally of Bitcoin. It's a reflection of fiat. In other words, I don't judge Bitcoin relative to human economic activity as a whole, relative to its technological advancements, its portability, its divisibility. I measure Bitcoin at the moment relative to the reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar, which has been really the case since 1920, 1921. 
uh, certainly since Europe committed seppuku in the entirely unnecessary World War I, we've had the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. And wouldn't you know it, reserve currencies last about, ooh, what is that number? What is that? It's a nice round number. Oh, that's right, the number of fingers and thumbs times 10. Reserve currencies, historically, like a Portuguese, Spanish, British pound, all of that, reserve currencies last about 100 years. So from the early 1920s, hang on, let me do the math here. Oh, i got to take my shoes off. Hang on. Oh, this is life without a calculator. That's right. That's right. We're at about a 100-year mark. Coronavirus, of course, has accelerated because the money printing, money firing out of the Fed, not just in America, but all the central banks around the West and around the world, for the most part, the money that's coming out is absolutely mad. This whole thing is being kept alive. The economy is stopped, and the whole thing is being kept alive by the helium printing presses going almost ad infinitum. Interest rates are being held ridiculously low, and the economy has become largely an illusion of deferred inflation, in my humble opinion. Now, how do you measure the deferred inflation? I think that you measure the deferred inflation relative to Bitcoin. That's my sort of fundamental belief. So sort of that's where I sit. I don't want to go on too long because it's a communal conversation here. So I'm very happy to hear. And, you know, we don't have sort of a mute, unmute thing. If you want to just jump in, just, you know, shoulder everyone aside and, and make your voice heard like you're trying to vote someone out, you know, is sus and among us. Ooh, there's a young person's joke for you. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear what, what you guys think, uh, where you're at, where you think the market is uh, at the moment and what's driving it. Uh, well, personally, I think that um, Bitcoin is a good reflection of what general society perceives about the fiat currency right now. I think that people are finally starting to wake up and to, to see the, the impacts of all the money printing that's happening. And people can see that oil is at its Oil is back to where it was at, at the start of the coronavirus. Uh, commodities are at their five, like seven-year highs. Well, so oil's back to what, like thirty-seven bucks a barrel or something like that, right? The U.S. it's at fifty-eight right now. Is it fifty-eight? Yeah, wow. futures. Okay. I'm, I'm a little behind then. Fantastic. Yeah, it's still not going to be enough to save Venezuela, which has the largest oil <laughs> reserve and is still dirt broke because socialism. But <laughs> go on. But yeah, like corn, um, wheat, all of these uh, commodities, all of them are. Uh, all-time highs, um, soybeans, it's pretty much an exponential increase right now. And uh, things are getting more expensive. And I think people are slowly starting to look at that and see like, oh, you know, things are getting more expensive. Biden wants to pass another $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. And they're probably going to pass even more after that. And, you know, how do I get out of the system? How do I sort of get into a location where I can be protected against some of this? And, you know, if I can have a little bit of a hedge by placing some of my money into something that's not going to be inflated by the government or something that's a little bit more decentralized and more safe. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to look at that. And I have a friend who uh, follows a lot of politics and he's right now trying to get into Bitcoin and he's having a lot of issues because for some reason, none of his deposits are going through and he can't actually buy it. But I have people around me who are starting to get more and more interested, who about a year ago were not interested at all in Bitcoin, who were just purely into stocks and stuff like that. Well, and I, I just wanted to – so, you know, you go ahead. I had my speech. Go ahead. I, on the note of people getting involved in crypto and wanting to come in, if you think you might be interested, start the process now because it can take several weeks to get ready on an exchange. You want to get start getting set up with several exchanges. For whatever reason, I would do multiple jurisdictions around the world, uh, Binance is in Asia, Coinbase and Kraken are in the U.S., there's blockchain.com, which I believe is based more in the UK or at least Europe. 
but uh, you want multiple options, multiple jurisdictions, because for whatever reason, they could be hammered, they could be down, they could be having internal technical difficulties. Uh, just make sure you got all, a lot of options. If you think you might buy crypto in the future, start the process now so that when you really want to, you can. Well, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. In other words, you can get the process going, you can upload your docs or whatever it is you need to do. If you decide not to get into it, no harm, no foul. You've lost a little bit of time out of your life, which is not a big deal. But if you do suddenly want to jump in, you don't want to imagine that you just make a phone call and get some Bitcoin unless you're willing to take your life in your hands and meet with people in a parking lot with cash, which I would not recommend at all in any way, shape or form. So yeah, that, that's that's a very, very important point. Get yourself up and running now because you know we could be, as I believe, right at the beginning. I've always had, I mean, just in my head, and this is obviously pure speculation, pure opinion. I've got no math behind it, but... I've always had in my head about 700K of Bitcoin. That's sort of been my uh, thought. And of course, if you look, so last year uh, versus now, okay, it's been a pretty big, inc- if, if sort of the, the fold increase from last year to now continues over the next year, well, yeah, we're looking at some pretty substantially high Bitcoin values. And the fact that people are sitting on a whole bunch of money to me is really fascinating because all this money printing, all it's doing, all this money printing, there's these handouts, these these stimulus checks and all, all it's doing is preventing the reorganization of the economy that's necessary due to COVID. COVID is, should be triggering a cascade reorganization of the entire economy. You've got more than a third of people who are probably going to be working at home either permanently or semi-permanently. That's very new. You have an entire reorganization of business travel. That's something I did forever when I was like two to three weeks on the road when I was in the business world. You've got a complete reorganization of the hospitality industry, the airline industry, the restaurant industry, the convention industry, industry everything, all of business. Is changed. The way it used to work, used to fly out, used to give presentations. You'd go to, uh, I can't tell you the number of times I spent manning a booth. I was a booth boy, <laughs> a booth girl, a booth hottie. And and you'd be out there manning booths and you'd say, oh, give me your business card. We'll give you a free iPod or something like that. And, and that's how you would sort of drive this. Now, I've not been in the software world for a while, but I'm sure it wasn't massively different. Everything has changed. And the more you fire money into the economy, the more you paralyze the economy from adapting to the new economic reality. That's not going to go away when COVID ends. The people think that, okay, who knows when the world's going to return to, quote, normal. I imagine it's still going to be a couple of years, probably. But even if the world returns to pre-COVID levels of general perception and, and mobility, business ain't going back to the way that it used to. Uh, if you can imagine some natural catastrophe or some illness accelerates the development of the car, uh, the automobile, well, when that virus gets cured or that natural disaster is taken out of the equation, it's not everyone then doesn't go back to horse and carriage. Like that, it's, it's accelerated the development of um, the new economy. Like, you know, as, as you know, most technological advancement is driven by pornography, right? So uh, VHS was driven by pornography, but even when people you know, weren't interested in that or didn't want to do that. It wasn't like the entire movie industry didn't change or the internet as a whole was driven by uh, pornography. And just because people use it now for non-pornographic reasons, in fact, I think there's some tiny slice of the internet that's not used for that. It doesn't mean that everything goes back to the way that it was. So this is the unfortunate thing about all this money in the system and these low interest rates and this money printing. It's just preventing the change from occurring that needs to occur. And the longer you hold it off, the more wrenching that realignment is going to be. 
I and, need to um, have a little duck that I quack when I'm done a ramble so people know when to stop being glazed and stop participating, but go ahead. And if, if you think about it, it's also pretty crazy how in about 12 or 13 years, we went from, in 2008, the government went from just bailing out the banks because if they didn't, there would have been a massive collapse. And then 13 years later, we've gone to, we need to bail out literally everybody, every business, regardless of the size, needs to get some sort of bailout money, some sort of loans, something from the government. And that happened in just 12 years. And the question is, where are we going to be in like 2030? Because it seems like the pace is accelerating at which the government is starting to gain control over pretty much everything. I mean, when it comes to business, uh, there seem to be a lot of people who want more regulations, more bailouts, more more control. And there doesn't it doesn't look like there are any signs that it's going to go the other direction anytime soon. Well, I, I, but it's not, it's not one, sorry, it's not one, let me just be real quick here and then I'll, but it's not one big blob, right? So the economy is fiat and crypto. I mean, that, that's the big division. I mean, you could say there's other assets, of course, capital assets, real estate and so on. But in terms of currency, it's fiat and it's crypto. And so when you say the controls, the control, yeah, of course, the controls and the management of the economy are going to go much stronger on the fiat side, but on the crypto side, that's much tougher. And uh, I think you just want to get far enough away from the Titanic, like the lifeboat. I mean, if you stay around the Titanic, when you're on a lifeboat, you just get sucked into the downswell, right? And you're probably going to drown anyway. So you get into lifeboats and you get away, which means to me, you know, try and disinvest in in fiat-related stuff, try and get into something in in a hard, my particular approach. So there is not one big blobby economy uh, at the moment, although in 2008, crypto was not a factor. And so it was one big blob. And the other thing I'd nag you about is like, it wouldn't be a collapse, it would be a liberation. (laughs) You know, like the old system, oh my gosh, that'd be an economic lesson. No, it's a liberation from delusion, right? I mean, it's painful, but it is a liberation from delusion. But sorry, uh, I'll be quiet now. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, no, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alexander. Uh, all right. I'll just go for a little bit. Um, yeah, I think uh, what I find interesting is that Bitcoin is starting to finally approach the market cap. Bitcoin, I think it's at, a, at about 900 billion, might reach a trillion soon. It's getting to the point where it's so large that any sort of attempt to try to regulate it or try to destroy it is going to be extremely difficult. And I don't think that it will, I don't think that it will be successful. It's starting to take on the size where it's really starting to become a significant force. Well, you, you want the financial management class invested in Bitcoin because they're the ones who have the political connections, right? I mean, it's not like you and I can call up anybody important in government and say, hey, man, we need to have a beating because what you're planning is blah, blah, blah. I mean, they may have a meeting, but you may not ever come out, right? So, but so the moment that Bitcoin, like now you've got, as you know, Elon Musk invested a billion and a half, which I think is one tenth of one percent of of the um, market cap of of Tesla or something like that. And you've got uh, Apple is reportedly, reputedly getting about a billion into Bitcoin, uh, which is like what four or five days of their cash flow. It's really not very much. So you want these big, large investors, which is why I've been sort of talking about it as, a, I think, a, 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 an interesting thing to look into in this area, because the moment that uh, people who've got connections, real connections, the connections that you and I will never have, probably, the moment that they're invested in it, oof, then they're going to be the lobby group that is going to work to push back against any destructive regulations uh, against this kind of stuff. And and it was a pretty dangerous passage, you know, when we were in the smaller amounts. But yeah, the more that people are bailing on fiat and going into crypto and Bitcoin, uh, the, the, the more protected those uh, ecosystems will be, I think. 
that's my sound <laughs> at the end of the speech. Well, I was gonna say on that note, uh, uh, in a Reuters article that came out, I think January 20th, uh, Janet Yellen mentioned, I'll just read the, the quote here or out of the article. She raised eyebrows of some senators in Wall Street when she said that uh, that Treasury would consider the possibility of taxing unrealized capital gains through a market, a mark to market mechanism, as well as other approaches to boost revenues that would hurt crypto. OK, but hang on, hang on. So l- l- break that. Well, would it hurt crypto compared to how much it would hurt everything else? So help help people to understand what that means, please. I don't entirely understand it myself. I, well, okay, so uh, so uh, taxing unrealized capital gains, as as I understand it, and I've I've been having to pay crypto taxes for a couple years now, so I understand it better than than you know, a lay person on the street. Um, so your capital gains are you have capital assets, and the the gain is how much they increase over a year or so or over time. Uh, if you sell within a year, so let's for, so practical example, you buy Bitcoin and you sell it within te- uh, 12 months, you owe 35% under the current regulations, unless they've changed and I don't know. If you wait over a year and you sell your Bitcoin, you're supposed to pay uh, 15% on the uh, on the profit there. So just not, not the whole balance, but the profit you got. Now, taxing unrealized capital gains would mean that you buy your Bitcoin, you don't sell it, no nothing, but if it goes up, up over the course of a tax year, you've on that difference. As as I understand it, wait, you, you just cut out for a second there. You've what on that difference? You just cut out for a second there. You've something on that difference. You have to. You would have to pay uh, whether you sold it or not over that that tax year. Uh, you'd have to pay on the profit on the, the the profit, the difference on what you bought it in versus what you sold it at or didn't sell it at, and just happens to to appreciate in value. So the analogy here would be um, if you had a second home, which you had bought for some kind of investment purpose, and the value of that home went up, that you would be taxed as if you had sold it, even though you haven't sold it. And it would be taxed probably not at the same level as if you'd sold it, but even though the uh, it's a paper gain, but it's a real tax, right? That's not a good combination. in my no, no tax is a good thing, but when you have a paper gain, but a real tax that's a significant negative because what happens is sometimes to pay the real tax, you have to liquidate some of your holdings, thus triggering real taxes. And uh, what it does is it's going to artificially drive down the price, in my humble opinion, of whatever asset this applies to. Now, it would apply, I would assume, of course, to stocks because if they only applied it to cryptos, it's still a pretty tiny segment of the economy. But stocks, bonds, whatever it is, whatever has appreciated in value, and heaven forbid that they would do real estate too, but whatever is appreciated in value, if they only have to pay taxes on an unrealized gain, well, then, of course, what happens if the value goes down? Do you get some of that money back? Like It becomes a, a, a rolling target of unrealized gains that get taxed and, and, and unrealized losses that get taxed. Oh, I mean, I guess OCD accountants would be in heaven, but for the rest of us, it would be an actuarial nightmare as far as I could tell. As I have paid crypto taxes over the years, it is an absolute nightmare. No matter what tax person I go to, I've got to pretty much do the work for them to where I've gotten to the point of largely doing it myself. And also for note, for anyone that's getting into crypto, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone or discourage them, but it is something to be aware of that, you know, keep keep good records. And the exchanges nowadays do a good job of keeping records and there's software that helps. Uh, the one I use is, is Bitcoin.tax. Uh, no, I'm not getting paid for that, but, it, you know, they can email me and I'll, I'll, I'll take anything. <laughs> 
But yeah, talk, talk to an accountant and, and just make sure, like, don't just assume this is free stuff. I mean, it is as, as far as I'm treated like somewhat like a security, depends where you are, but it's a real thing. You've got to pay taxes on it and, and please do that. Uh, don't, uh, don't try and escape the law. Don't try and tax evade and uh, don't give Bitcoin a bad reputation. <laughs> so, I, I'm personally convinced that uh, they will try to make an example of the crypto community one day. And a great way to do that is if you haven't paid taxes, because as we've talked in the previous conversations, crypto is not so private. Well, it depends which crypto, but most of the ones we were talking about here. All right. So is there anyone else who wanted to sort of jump in with thoughts about market forces that are driving this uh, kind of stuff? Or, or, I mean, it's hard to say, of course, it's a random walk to some degree where it's going to go, but um, the, the floor is open. If this uh, you got a yearning, burning thing that you've been yelling at your monitor that now you get to yell at everybody's monitor. Oh, I was just going to make the analogy that the um, you know the tax on unrealized capital gains is basically the analogy would be a property tax on financial assets. Oh, because you're holding them, you would get taxed. At, okay, okay, right. Yeah, like you get a property tax on your house, whether you sell it or not, except it would probably be more than, what is it, 1% or 2% of the home's value. It would probably be, be much higher than that. But And and what it would do, of course, would it would be if, if a bunch of financial people wanted to buy an asset, then they would encourage this kind of tax because it would cause people to sell the asset to cover tax um, uh, issues. And uh, it's, to me, just another rampant market manipulation. But we should, you know, I think be kind of used to that. Is there something else you wanted to add to that? The floor is open. I mean, I got a lot to talk about, but I want to make it a monologue. So if it has, uh, other people have stuff they want to share, is, uh, is my mic working properly? Yep, you're on, man. Very good. All right. Um, so with relations to the first crypto crash, it went from about 20K to about 4 or 5K. The, oh, really? I, I, don't, uh, I don't remember that too well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, hang on. I'm having PTSD, but I think I'm okay. I'm okay. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's a pretty distant memory, but if you think of the time, like the emotions were sky high. Every article was about Bitcoin. Everyone was trading it. YouTube was covered by it, and now it's gone up to forty k like it's nothing. Because nobody wants to talk about the reason why. Nobody wants to talk about the reason why, which is, I believe, fragility of U.S.'s dollar reserve. Right? That's that is such a um, an elephant in the room. That is such a black hole. And that this has the potential to completely reorganize the financial classes as a whole. And yeah, good, good luck trying to, um, you know, with, with Robin Hood when there was like, you, you can't buy this thing, you can only sell it. Like some of the complaints that people had, I don't know whether it was a choice or whether they had losses, stop losses on or whatever. You know, good luck with that in Bitcoin. You know, good luck with those kind of financial manipulations in Bitcoin. The other thing that Bitcoin's doing is... These guys are supposed to be the masters of the universe, super smart, right? And where were they for the last 10 years, right? Where were they? It's one of the biggest investment opportunities uh, in, in a life. They might really sound like a salesman. One of the biggest investment, right? But, you know, these super smart guys. So, you know, I don't know that the financial press really wants to, you know, what do they get? Well, I, I think the financial press as a whole works kind of like uh, – Oh, we're going to short a stock, and then we're going to say, "Oh, I don't think this company's doing too well," and the price is going to go down, right? And and or you know they long a stock and they say, "I think this company has real growth," and woohoo, you know they make it's kind of to me, uh, you know how honest it is is open to debate, and you know it's all legal, but whether in a free market it would work this kind of way. But Bitcoin's all out, out of that whole thing. Bitcoin is not a supplement to the existing fiat and stock financial system. 
Uh, Bitcoin to me is is a different animal altogether. It is car versus horse and buggy. It is internet versus print paper. And you know you'll find, of course, that a lot of a lot of uh, uh, businesses that rely on old technology, old paradigms, <laughs> they're really not that interested in 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 pushing new technology, new paradigms because they're either going to adapt, in which case they probably have already done so, or they're going to do so, in which case they don't want to pump it because they want to get in while the price is still low, or they're not going to adapt. In which case, they really don't want to tout the the car when they're they're all in on the horse and buggy. <laughs> on that note, I was, <laughs> I was going to say uh, I believe Bitcoin. If I someone fact me, uh, I, but I believe if I recall correctly, Bitcoin is the single greatest uh, asset to or thing to have invested in in the last decade. Like something like a sixty eight thousand percent increase or something like that something from like the beginning. That, yeah. And again, like take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. On the note of uh, the whole Robin Hood situation, I had mentioned Bruce Fenton in the last videos. One of his tweets, he says, "If you're mad, don't close your Robin Hood account. Leave it open. Keep 21 cents and a partial share of one stock in the account, and request paper statements, mailed annual reports, and a pro- and proxy voting." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But however, that's got to be somewhat dissatisfying after a while. You know, sticking it to the man. When the man still makes all the money, uh, it's got to be somewhat mm-hmm. dissatisfying after a while. But I, I kind of get where you're coming from. They they did get the uh, one star review on Google. It's well, they still, yeeted a whole bunch of the, like a hundred k of those one star reviews, <laughs> yeah. and then I think they finally gave up and just let them let them handle it. <laughs> you could uh, you could destroy Robinhood with arbitrations now. Oh right, right, right. They did. Um, I'm I'm involved with uh, with the Patreon lawsuit. Uh, Owen, Owen Benjamin, Benjamin was thing, kicked right? off a couple years ago. Yeah, we filed arbitrations and we won. They uh, they hammered a crazy amount of money. <laughs> oh, good for you. Good for you. Now, let's look at. Uh, sorry, I I don't want to drag the conversation to to another area. If if there's more that people wanted to uh, to say, and you know, don't don't be shy. I mean, you speak. Can I, up, can uh, I cr- correct my fact? If I'm if I'm reading this right from Coin Market Cap, and again, I could be wrong. It's showing a. 34,000% increase uh, Bitcoin ROI from the initial investment. Yeah, it seems, so, uh, seems yeah. fairly good. I don't think anyone's going to complain between 60,000 or 30,000 return. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you I, been on I the think, internet? Um, <laughs> I think the one thing that's, that's unique about this um, market cycle in particular is that this is going to be the start of the institutions really starting to get into this market. I think the smart institutions are already coming in in a very big way. The larger institutions are just looking for a way to get in. It's hard to try to convince, um, you know, investors, retirement funds, and all the rest of it to risk put their put their life savings into uh, what they consider to be a speculative asset. Asset, and it largely is. But um, as the market cap continues to increase, we get to one trillion dollar <coughs> Bitcoin, which will be around about $56,000, I think um, the big boys are going to start to come in. And it's going to be interesting. I, I think that the um, no one wants to get in first, but once people start coming in, no one's going to be, be the last one to get on the boat. And there is, I mean, a lot of the fund managers are older and there is a, there's no thing there. You know, they're used to sort of physical assets. They're used to, they, they view fiat currency as a real thing. Like it's not, but it's, you know, I mean, paper, uh, toilet paper is more useful. At least you can wipe your ass with it. But so they look at fiat currency as a real thing. 
which it's not, they look at stocks. Yeah, I mean, they're real things. They're real contractual relationships to to the percentage of a company's earnings or ownership. But they, they look for real things. They look for a factory. They look for a store. They look for gold. They, they're used to the real thing paradigm. And I think that the perception is going to start to shift that Bitcoin is way more real than fiat. Right, that's because it's digital now. You know, we, you guys, even more. I assume most people here are younger than I am. Y'all grew up in a digital paradise. You know, like like the bits and burps, they're more real to you. You know, I I think you know many of you have many more vivid memories of video games than actual vacations. Right? <laughs> I mean, the the uh, the scenery, the vistas. Like I remember when I played there was a game way back in the day called Unreal, and Unreal when you first started it. There was a waterfall. It was the first time I'd ever seen a waterfall in a video game. Now, I've traveled a fair amount. I've got some lovely memories. However, you know, one of the memories that I have is the waterfall in Unreal, which is, in fact, Unreal. So you all have grown up with virtual relationships. You have, you know, people that you only know online. And those are real relationships, even though you've never met in person a lot of times. You've grown up with very vivid memories of things that aren't real in terms of the real world. They're simulated. They're digital. They're bits. So for the younger generation, and this is true for me just because I went head head first into computers when they first came out, the digital world is very real, very real. I mean, I've given a bunch of live speeches, but they're nothing compared to the online views and downloads I've gotten. Like I, I, my biggest speech I gave was in the Netherlands, which went out to like 35,000 people. Uh, maybe a thousand in-house, a whole bunch of people online. When I was in in um, Australia with Lauren Southern, we spoke maybe a thousand people at some of the larger events and so on. But you compare that to you know three quarters of a billion views and downloads. The, the the digital aspect of this show is vastly larger than the physical aspect in terms of the number of people who request or get print books as opposed to the number of people who read them digitally, the number of people who've seen me in person versus the number of people who've only heard me on on digital platforms. So for me, and I think for you guys, digital versus real is a completely false dichotomy. Uh, most, uh, good chunks, I would say most, good chunks of our lives are bound up in this virtual stuff. So when we say, well, Bitcoin isn't real, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> the virtual is the real for, for most of us. Whereas I think for a generation that came before me, or maybe people my age who haven't had that much involvement with technology, they're like, well, Bitcoin, it's, it's not real. And yet they'll say this on a Skype call. You know, and it's like, you know that it's as real as your Skype call, right? I mean, if you're going to use your Skype call, uh, it's real. If you order something online and food arrives, that's exactly the same as digital currency. Everything is bits and burps, and then a real thing happens. And it's the same thing with digital currency. Everything's bits and burps, and then a real thing happens. You can sell your Bitcoin, you can buy a car. Uber Eats, it's not magic. It's like it's not a magical spell that ends up with food in your belly. It's bits and burps to something real. And the purpose now is, to me, it's like if you're, be, okay, you're being chased down a street, right? And, and there's some rickety old house. Some, some bad guys are chasing you down the street. And there's some rickety old house out there in the woods. And you kind of dart to the right and you go into this rickety old house and you climb up these creaking stairs and there's holes everywhere and you can barely see anything and you don't want to turn on your cell phone flashlight and people see you. Now, on any normal day, you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be creeping into some old dangerous, death-defying, tetanus nails sticking out of the walls kind of house, but you're being chased. 
And people don't understand that, that Bitcoin is a refuge. Bitcoin, okay, so, oh, it's a rickety old house. Okay, yeah, I get it. You know, architecture's still work, being worked on and there, there's, there's kinks. I get it. And it's a little slow and it can be kind of ex more expensive than people predicted to transfer. I get all of that. Okay, but even if you view it as a rickety old house, nobody's going to want to live in this rickety old house. Nobody's want to go to this rickety old house unless you're being chased. And if there is a fall, a significant fall in the value of the U.S. currency, if they can't get other people to buy their debt, which is foundational to the fall of a reserve currency, people are going to need refuge. And people, even if the house is rickety, even if it's bits and burps, they're going to need refuge. And I think that the refuge aspect, you know, you've got, you've got wealthy celebrities and very rich people buying up tracts of land in, in New Zealand and other places because they're looking for a refuge. You've got a whole market in second passports and third passports because people are looking for refuge. You've got people fleeing the cities because they need a refuge. They want to live in the country. And so the idea that you're just going to look at things like they're normal, like you're just going to look at somebody walking down the street and saying, well, there's no way. They're going to just go and run into that rickety old house. It's like, well, if you look over their shoulder and there's a whole pitchfork of people running at them, then yeah, they're going to they're gonna do some things they wouldn't do otherwise. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing, that this is a great refuge. It, it's sort of like, last analogy, sorry to <laughs> overload the analogy tray here, but, you know, it's like saying, well, well, who, who on the most luxury liner ever would, would just throw themselves into some rickety old lifeboat and go out into the ocean? It's like, well, well, no one, and, uh, unless it's actually sinking, <laughs> in which case they're going to get a lifeboat, go out in the ocean. It's their only chance. So the store value, I think people are going to start. But but the, the perception that the fiat is in danger is, is still being uh, glossed over and layered over by all of this money printing, and it's still vestigial status as a reserve currency. So I, I think that once people get the view of the refuge status of Bitcoin, and that's not all it is. I'm just saying that that is... Uh, and I'm sorry for the analogy of the rickety old house. I'm just like from a boomer perspective, oh, it's all digital and, and all that. I think that once people get that, uh, they'll understand why the short-term case for crypto is so strong. I, I think some of the things that people are also noticing, if you look at like the housing market in the U.S., like, you know, it's basically split in two now. And you've basically got like 14 million people that are not paying rent or mortgages and after a certain point, like if you're, if you own that property, right, if you're that, you know, the typical boomer, right, that was the asset that you could touch and see. And you're basically being told, like, they just keep pushing the deadline on the eviction moratoriums. So mm -hmm. at a certain point, at what point is this just like, you just, that just was like taken from you? Um, oh, you mean, so if you're like your landlord and people just aren't paying their rents, right? Yeah. And they, you know, the eviction moratorium, you know, at first it was, so through the summer and now it's through the new year and now it's till next like June or whatever. And they just keep pushing that. Right. And you've got a lot of people that are holding those and, you know, traditionally real estate was such a safe asset. And now you're seeing like, okay, well, you don't actually own it. Um, that can't happen with like a crypto. Right. Right. No one can say like, I can't evict my, my, my coins from my wallet. Right. Like I own them. I can do what I want with them. So. Right. I also wanted to point out for those who are not watching the video, uh, your chair makes you look like you have the strangest Princess Leia headphones in the known universe. I just wanted to sort of, I was like looking at that like, oh my God, how big are these headphones? Do you have hearing problems or is that N-dimensional? Yeah, just, um, uh, that's just Obi-Wan, you are our only, okay. So, yeah, no, I think that's a good point because, you know, the, the two classes of, of real estate, residential and commercial as a whole, I mean, 
is, is all undergoing a huge amount. You know, people are moving, and this is actually quite an interesting thing that's coming out of COVID, is that people are moving to be closer to family because um, they, they may need the additional support. Uh, you can't travel as easily. And so, yeah, people are moving out of the cities. And I think that's a really good thing in, in many ways. Certainly, I, I'm not a big fan of living, certainly wouldn't live downtown if you paid me. But um, so, so people are, are moving out. Real estate values in the country will go up. Real estate values in the city will go down, both in terms of residential, in my humble opinion, and but commercial, which we talked about before, is a huge. People don't. The business. I remember when I first got into the business world, getting a lecture from an investor on the business to business market. Okay, because you don't see this as a consumer, right? The business to business market is far larger than the business to consumer market. The business to consumer market, like the stuff you go in a store and buy, right? Think of all of the things that have to go through. For you to be able to go into Bed Bath Beyond and be able to buy some strange goop for your bath, right? I mean, all of the thing, all the manufacturing, all the shipping, all the factories, all the contracts, all of the lawyers, all everything that has to go on just to get you a little hand sanitizer or something. So the business to business market, I can't remember the number, but it's some massive multiple of the business to consumer market. And so a lot of what people are doing is they're saying, well, the business consumer market is kind of changing and people, but it's like, yeah, yeah the, the COVID's biggest effect is on the business to business market, in my humble opinion. And that takes a while for, I think, Main Street to get, get a handle on. All right. Do we have people here just to listen or do you have things you want to add? Now's your chance, brothers and sisters. Mostly uh, going on the previous example about real estate and how people are, how the government makes it impossible for you to evict people. So you basically don't own the property that you own. Um, if you look at China, you can kind of get an idea of where we might be headed. So in China, this has happened for a while, but in China, when the market has gone down, what they've done sometimes is they've told institutions that for the next 30 days, for the next 60 days, they were not allowed to sell their stocks. So in other words, the market is going down. China doesn't want their markets to go down. So they say, okay, institutions, you're not allowed to sell anything that you have. And uh, stuff like that, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but you can also get stuff like that of stocks and with Bitcoin. Again, nobody can really tell you that, hey, you can't sell that. There's no I don't think there's an easy way to actually be able to control that, but with things like stocks, it's definitely possible to to limit selling and to basically kind of take it away from people. Right, right. Now, uh, is there something else that people wanted to add into this topic? Because I did want to get to China and Iran, not obviously physically, but um, I would like to talk about that as, as a stabilizing factor, believe it or not, in the Bitcoin universe. But if there's other things that people wanted to add to, to this phase, I'm certainly happy to hear. I can add uh, to the real estate topic as someone who's looking, has invested and is looking to invest in real estate in a very, very rural area. Like I fled as far off the grid as I could. It's booming. <laughs> like the, it's the stuff I used to see is totally gone off the market and I'm having to go out and hunt. Yeah, I mean, if you want to stay safe from criminals in a collapsing economy, just be out, be be on the range of a uh, of on, being on foot. <laughs> You're pretty good to go, right? Criminals don't like to uh, 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 run for thirty miles or fifty miles to get out of the city and come prey on people. Uh, yeah, it, it is booming out, out there, right? For sure, and I think that was fairly uh, predictable. But uh, the combination of instability, supply chain issues, shipping issues, and uh, rising crime rates uh, in the cities, combined with work at home designs means that the country has become massively valuable and the cities i think got a negative case at the moment 
uh, people have always dropped like flies in cities, sadly. Yes. Well, remember when in, in the year when the Roman Empire collapsed, the population of Rome, I think from when 2 million down to 18,000 in a year. And, you know, a lot, a lot of the people, and, you know, I try not to take gloating satisfaction in foppish people having to learn real work, but a lot of these people were, you know, like very dainty, uh, highfalutin society types, and they had to go out and get work on a farm. Probably was the best thing for them, but I bet you they didn't like it very much. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very true. Uh, so, anything else people want to add to that? Because uh, I'd like to get to the China-Iran thing, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, well, hopefully all these forces together will help uh, soothe the wealth inequality between the generations a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Be nice. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the wealth was transferred from millennials to boomers through debt. And a lot of the wealth is going to be transferred from boomers to millennials through crypto. And so the, the pendulum, I think, is, is on its way. Yeah, and if, if we have a time, I'd like to make a case for uh, crypto kind of being a reward for people exploring virtue and philosophy. Oh, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm all down for that. Go for it, brother. All right. Uh, so I think about how I personally heard of Bitcoin to begin with. This was back in 2011, 2012. And I was kind of reevaluating my life and digging into my thoughts and values and beliefs and philosophy and things like that. And just based on that and exploring like what is moral and what's, you know, and exploring the state, the nature of the state and relationships and uh, uh, an immeasurable amount of that was thanks to your help. Um, but I also would find that the people, so that's how I found cryptocurrency, you know, ah, oh, the state's a weevil, it's diluting our dollars. And then, you know, because I was interested in those things out of a moral drive, I found Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And what do you know? The other people that were in the crypto sphere were Austrian economy, you know, they were fluent in Austrian economics and they were very brilliant people, especially because you had to be someone in the tech world on the ground, you know, in this conversation already to have heard about Bitcoin back then and be, you know, be in the sphere. And so in a way, the gain in crypto, and that's changed drastically over time, over, you know, it used to be people that are way more values, like we can, there's a great moral argument here, like we have to do this, that that used to be the majority of the community. Uh, and, uh, and over time, of course, that's changed as it's become more speculation. But again, now that still is true today in a sense that if someone's interested in morality and philosophy and things like that, they're going to find your content and you're going to connect them to crypto. So it is kind of a reward in a way for being interested in those things. And just like there's so many aspects in the universe that are like, oh, man, it seems like even if you're the good guy, you get the raw end of the deal. But like, it's nice to point out the, the silver lining, I think. No, I think that's right. And, and you have to be skeptical of everything that is said to you to be a philosopher and or, or to be interested in philosophy. And so, yeah, when people say this is money and you're like, you know, the thing I said earlier, everything that everyone in particular in authority says, you say bullshit. Oh, this is money? Bullshit. And I remember, of course, and I mentioned this on the show many years ago, when I first came to Canada, you could buy a candy bar for 10 cents and relatively rapidly it went to a dollar. And I had, um, so before, before we left uh, the UK, uh, sort of friends and relatives gave me, I very, I very much remember this, they gave me 38 pounds and 50 cents. And it was $2 Canadian to a British pound back then, so I got that doubled, right? So 73 pounds or $73 or whatever it was, right? And I remember as a kid, of course, you know, your, your fundamental currency is, is candy bars, right? 
So 73 bucks, I'm like, wow, that's 730 candy bars, man, that's really good. And then, you know, it wasn't too long, again, massive amounts of debt, and they needed to fund mass immigration and all that. So the inflation, the money printing press went, did its thing. And I remember like, oh, my gosh, now I can only get, I only get 500 candy, oh, 200 candy bars. Oh, my gosh, I can only get 73. And I just remember thinking like there's massive, massive amounts of candy I can't have. Now, my teeth probably thank the printing press, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that is, um, it's a very, very real and vivid thing. And... Of course, a lot of people who were into Austrian economics were looking at the money printing press that was going on, the M1 money supply in particular, and saying, hyperinflation is going to kick, and they wanted to get into gold or a fixed asset and so on. And because I received so much more value from the digital assets of my shows than I ever did from the fixed assets, you know, for a month or two, I actually sold my books, then I decided to give them away and take the money um, that... uh, uh, that I was, uh, and just just invest in in um, uh, take take the money that I would have made from the books, and instead just invested in in um, advertising and and things like that. And uh, so for me, looking at the sort of physical assets versus the digital assets, the digital assets were much more valuable. They moved much more quickly. They had much more effect on people than the fixed assets, the the physical assets like books or or my speeches. And so for me, when it came time to, okay, what's a good hedge against inflation? Uh, just my experience with the show is that the digital, the digital is worth much more than the physical, which is why I think I grab it. And for those of you who remember, I did a debate many years ago with Peter Schiff about Bitcoin versus gold as the, um, uh, as the best hedge, right, as the best opportunity. And by the way, during this conversation, Bitcoin broke 60,000 Canadian. Sorry, don't get too excited for <laughs> my American friends, but... I'm not again. I'm not saying it's causal. I'm just saying it's happening. Uh, so yeah, I, I think being skeptical, being curious, and understanding how the world works, knowing a little bit about the history of currency, I think has helped people quite a bit in this uh, area. All right, so that was it for that speech. Again, happy to hear this. Uh, whatever you guys want to do, is a collective. Uh, I, I just want to comment on how that that was a bit of a, a good heart attack. Uh, there's an exchange I use which had a bug where your Bitcoin balance like didn't show up at all. I was using it the other day for like a good five minutes. So I log in, I see my balance. I'm like, excellent. You know, and it's, they actually offer interest on the crypto you hold with them, which is pretty awesome. And something you can't get like 6% at a bank, you know, anyways, that's besides the topic. So yeah, I'm looking, I'm like, great. Everything's on the up and up. And then all of a sudden my balance is like zero. (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah. I'm like, guys, you got to get that fixed. You're asking for a cardiac arrest. Right, right, right. No, that's uh, <laughs> that's quite quite exciting. Oof. Uh, okay, so sorry. Somebody else wanted to say. Go ahead. It sounds like that would give Peter Schiff an aneurysm. Yeah, I think poor guy did lose some bitcoins. Uh, anyway, okay. So, uh, so let's talk about. Uh, I don't know if you guys know much about this. I don't. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to lean on your expertise, so I can talk about what I do know with regards to Iranian and Chinese Bitcoin mining. Have you guys looked into that at all? Uh, I just know what I've kind of. Of osmotically picked up over the years, no. uh, just incidentally following the news. What do news. you know? Yes or no? <laughs> Don't okay. tell me what you uh, picked up. I need to get what you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I actually hearing about Iranian Bitcoin mining this is the first I've heard of that. But for as far as China, they've always, or for a very long time, they've been uh, the primary miner, uh, the miners of Bitcoin. So in order to mine Bitcoin. Nowadays, you run a very specific kind of hardware called an ASIC, A-S-I-C, and uh, application-specific 
integrated circuit is what that stands for. Yeah, we didn't get that last time, but people gave it to us. Yeah. Oh, the internet corrected me so so gently. <laughs> and just listen, listen, I'm sorry, just to interrupt for a second. So if you're interested in Bitcoin, just make sure you pronounce it correctly, that you're very interested in miners, not minors. It's very, very interesting, uh, very, very important to get that correct and don't mistype it. But sorry, go ahead. Indeed. Uh, so they use these ASICs. And what they do is for in this specific case, the uh, the hashing algorithm that Bitcoin uses is SHA-256. And it's just, it's a machine made to do this math problem. Crunch it, crunch it, crunch it. You, you put energy in and it spits out, you know, the solutions to math problems. And so they're just running these these machines. Uh, and what and the reason it's, it's uh, equitable for China to do so is because they have all this state subsidized energy production. And one of the interesting, beautiful things about uh, crypto mining and Bitcoin in this case is that you can now, instead of having to move that electricity across power lines and, and lose some of its value in doing so in order to get a customer, you can burn it right there and secure one of the most or the most important financial network in the entire world. I know people, there's hippies out there that may be like, oh, you're wasting energy. But it's like, no, no, no. It's doing an incredibly important job. Compare that to the amount of energy resources that politicians burn. Uh, it's, it's a godsend. So anyways. So they have this cheap electricity right there, and you can burn it right there without having to transmit it across lines. And that's why it's a good case for China. Now, I, I do crypto mining on my own, and what it does is I'm using a graphics card, and uh, it's uh, I, I'm having to pay like high electric, electricity rates. So my return is not nearly as great uh, as as others. Like I, I'm also like I'm up in the north, so I'm getting some of the heat that the mine. It actually produces a lot of heat that my does because of the you know the work it's doing and the amount of energy it burns so um but yeah so that's largely why and china for a long time has really held on to the mining market um and it seems like the state every once in a while in china messes with the bitcoin market by claiming to regulate it or make it illegal or mess like back and forth they're just jerking the market around it seems like and you know they're kind of known for it so uh so yeah, that's that's what I can add with the China. Oh, and that's also where a lot of these ASICs are manufactured. So it's it's a lot easier for them to just pull it right off the, the factory and get it right into use. Well, and and as far as it's not environmentally friendly, because you hear, oh my gosh, this Bitcoin mining, it's like my gosh, compared to uh, uh, it's a small town and and so on. It's like, come on, dudes, like do you know how absolutely and unbelievably brutal. Fiat currency is for the environment. Fiat currency, it, the environment is is uh, you get wars, you get massive overpopulation, you get incredible misallocation of resources, you get useless consumption, uh, and you get you know every piece of debt is a a precious piece of nature that's consumed in the present at the expense of the, expense of the future. And so, if you're concerned about the environment, you want a currency that's going to limit massive overconsumption and that's crypto in a nutshell uh, so i just really wanted to point that out that is uh, yeah the u.s military is the number one polluter it is kind of unfair when you have state agents that can offload the cost of the electricity onto the taxpayer onto the future taxpayer through debt uh, that is a big issue with regards to the fairness because you know that's the limitation on mining is the electricity bills and at some point the bitcoin mining becomes too expensive really to i don't think they'll ever get quite to the 21 million but you know we'll see but i mean unless it's state actress but okay it's something else people wanted to add to that i wanted to talk about how i think this could help stabilize things sorry go ahead 
on that on that note, uh, I'll start taking them seriously when they start measuring the carbon footprints of like politicians and regulation and things like that. <laughs> like, let me get something to compare that to. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so uh, again, I'll just give a pause here. If there's other people who want to mention something, I want to mention. I do. I'll, I do yeah, find ahead. it interesting that a lot of these countries who claim to be trying to regulate cryptocurrency. Um, one of the first things they first do is actually try to ban all the privacy coins. I don't know if you guys have gone much into the privacy coins like Monero or Zcash or any of the other coins that you actually can transact anonymously on the blockchain without actually having a trace for who that's coming from. So I know that especially one of the Chinese um, crypto exchanges, the moment you want to actually put fiat into their uh, wallets, you immediately can't use any of the crypto, the privacy coins anymore. And um, I find that this is a trend alongside a lot of other like country regulated exchanges where they're in one of the Western countries where they basically go, well, if you want to put fiat into your wallets, we can't transact in privacy coins. Um, what are your thoughts about um, about that? I'm not much of an expert on the privacy coin things. Just about everything I do is uh, is is very public, so uh, I can't I can't really speak to that. But I'm certainly happy to hear other people's expertise on that. Excuse me. Well, I'd, I'd say there's a case to be made that, that uh, for privacy coins or cryptos in general, uh, there they are a uh, just in case states collapse. Because uh, you know, states have been known to collapse, and you know it's it is a place for people to legitimately store some value and some wealth. You know. Well, and and it will the, the the growth in the in the privacy coins will be driven by what some people will perceive as excessive regulation, right? So uh, that's certainly something. I mean, if if they require you know the driver's license for every transaction around the world, that's going to get pretty ridiculous, and it's going to really harm developing economies where these things are not particularly easy to validate or upload or anything like that. So, I mean, I think there's certainly room for it, and if the regulation remains reasonable, there'll be less demand for those kinds of coins. But, um, yeah, if they regulate. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think the main reason for people wanting the use of privacy coins is uh, protection against censorship, right? Mm. So while you might be able to, let's say, you know, create a paper wallet in Bitcoin and uh, transact with it, everyone else at some point is going to have a rec uh, like a trace to your wallet, right? So you can actually tell, like, who sent what money to who and how much of it and it's like out in the open. And so if a government is interested in uh, going after you as a, as a private citizen for whatever censorship means, let's say you supported the wrong political party or you protested something and they wanted to um, uh, basically freeze your assets or um, take your money or investigate you or anyone connected with anyone else, let's say you're a friend of someone who um, you know knows someone else who's a criminal, and they want to get everyone else in the chain, that's one way they can do it. Um, you know, through the Bitcoin um, blockchain, you can easily trace who's transacted what. And so, you know, the the fact that governments want to, um, you know, prohibit the use of privacy coins to me is definitely not um, like out of the ordinary. It sounds like something they absolutely would want to do. Um, but, you know, to me, that's the biggest concern. It's like, well, you know, I think we should have the right to, to privacy. Um, if we want to conduct, you know, private transactions with people that we know, then that's perfectly acceptable in my view. Well, in a free society, there wouldn't really be much difference, right? You, you may want public transactions if you're a public company. You may want private transactions. In a truly, like a stateless society, it wouldn't really 
wouldn't really matter uh, at all. Uh, but uh, of course, in the society that we live in, it seems to matter quite a bit. Yeah. And, and of note, there are some cryptocurrencies that allow you the option of having public and private transactions right. within the same currency. And now, do you know which ones those are? Uh, so actually, okay, so fair warning, this is the one I most invested in. So it's a bit of a, it's in my interest that I'm making this case. But uh, Tezos is, uh, is well, they're, they're implementing in this next upgrade the, uh, the private transactions. And uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting coin, but I know you wanted to get on to another topic. No, no, no. That's, I like interesting coins. Uh, let's, let's hear a bit about it. And I don't know much about Tezos, so let's hear a little more. Okay, so I heard about Tezos in 2017. Oh, and sorry, I'm sorry to ask and then interrupt. Just by the by, I think everyone understands that those of us who are really interested in crypto own some crypto. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, I, I, I don't mind if you say that. It's totally fine. I have some crypto. You have some crypto. Um, I, I really wouldn't want to hear from somebody who doesn't really have any crypto, if that makes any sense, because it's like, okay, so what do you, you either know about it and don't think it's valuable or whatever? Or, again, if there's a case against it, I'd like to hear that as well. But uh, I think that's well understood. But uh, I just want to... Glad for saying it, but uh, I think uh, that's a general statement for for us here as a whole. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I heard about it in 2017, and I go and I look at the people involved, and it was uh, it's Arthur and Kathleen Brightman who uh, who started uh, Tezos, uh, and I guess like one of the, a joke between them is that at their honeymoon he was reading the Ethereum white paper and and kind of planning Tezos. But anyways, I, I looked into their uh, their kind of more political leanings, and they uh, seemed more anarcho-capitalist, libertarian ish you know, he's a big fan of Murray Rothbard. Um, and so from there, I'm like, okay, excellent, that's great. And then I go in and look at what they're implementing in Tezos. And one of the first uh, features I saw was that it's it was written in OCaml. And I apologize if this gets too technical. It's written in a programming language that lends itself to formal verification. And as, as a layman, from my understanding, what that means is that you can test the code to make sure it is doing what it's supposed to do and only what it's supposed to do. Um, and, and so this is the kind of software that financial institutions or like, uh, like exchanges or, for example, uh, automatic pilots for planes like to not screw up. Which, you know, when I heard that, I'm like, well, gosh, how come every cryptocurrency wasn't written in that to begin with? But anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, the next feature was that, was there, okay, so this is uh, uh, the Bitcoin and Ethereum forking situation was coming up. And that was a big conversation, a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation going around there. So Tezos has a plan to, plan to prevent these forks. And the way they're going to do that and the way they've been doing that is uh, by having a scheduled vote on the chain, you use your holdings in the token to vote on proposals. So anyone can go and make a proposal to an upgrade or a change in the code, and then that gets voted on. And it actually gets voted on like five times over a course of three months. So it, it's, it, gets, it gets checked the first time, then it gets tested, then it gets put on a test chain. And then like finally at the end of the day, if it passes all these votes over and over again, the community includes it in the blockchain and it, it upgrades the blockchain. And so far, we've implemented uh, several upgrades to the chain. Uh, and this next one is gonna be the one that adds Zcash's privacy features. And so one of the reasons they wanted privacy features was for, because it, it, it's a smart contract platform. So it is in a way competitive with Ethereum, like you can run all your stuff through it, uh, but they're targeting more like financial institutions and places like that. Like, and, and if you're gonna do that, you have to have the option for private contracts and, and accounts that people just can't explore. Um, and 
the, and it's a uh, just to add some details. It's a proof of work, uh, or sorry, proof of stake coin. They call it liquid delegated proof of stake. And uh, so essentially what you could do, and I actually run a, a staking operate, a solo staking operation myself, is you stake on the network and you get a regular interest rate. So it is inflationary, roughly 6%, uh, but uh, that is, and, and also the, the process of using the chain burns some of the coins. So it may not break out to exactly 6% inflation. But personally, you know, I used to be a hard set, like I wanted an absolute set of coins and over the years i'm less concerned with that so long as it's the if it, is it is it a voluntary coin you know mm. do, am i forced to participate in or and and this is a measurable predictable rate of inflation and so far i've been very happy with it you know i've roughly if i recall correctly roughly broken even but it's it's doing fine uh, and i'm i've happy happy with the potential it's got oh and another big feature another big selling point is that the tezos foundation has uh, is one of the largest holders of Bitcoin. And what that means is that if times are rough and you got to run lean, this project can last. Yep. Right, right. One, okay. uh, one quick question. Who is the beneficiary of that inflation or am I misunderstanding how it works? So, okay, great, great question. So the beneficiary of that inflation is, for example, someone like me who runs a staking operation, which actually secures the network, but also you don't have to run a staking operation in order to benefit from that, infl that, that inflation. Anyone can delegate their coins, a small amount or however much, to a staking operation. And then they what they'll do is they compete in the marketplace to pay you back the majority of your coins minus whatever they compete. It's, it's a market rate. So some places offer 5%, they, they, they charge you only 5%, some places only charge you like uh, 10 and forth. So uh, does, does that answer your question? So anyone, anyone in the network participating in the network can benefit from that inflation. It encourages people to participate. Thanks, so it's an incentive oh, it, to keep it secure partly. Absolutely. And, and one more thing, this is like one of the major selling points on this coin to me, because I, I, I came into the community early of Tezos, so I wanted to help set the conversation, uh, was that uh, it is a one, it is, uh, you get one vote for every one Tezos you have. So it's very capitalistic. It is property equals say. Skin in the game means you get to make the call. So anytime some of the socialist sentiment so shows up, I'm like, no, no, sir, this is pay to play. If that's the <laughs> way you are, you need another community. Um, just to give you, sorry, the annoying technical tip, Jared, you need to make sure you look at the camera rather than me. I know it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it looks you look like okay. So let me tell you the important. Okay, so okay, so let's let's dip over to something that I think is interesting economically and sociologically, but. I think gives a good. I think it's a good case to be made for stability. So Bitcoin mining in China. This is from buybitcoinworldwide.com/mining/china. If you want to check it out, it was last updated January eighth, so it's a month old. But you know, I don't think too much has changed. China is the undisputed world leader in Bitcoin mining. Chinese mining pools control more than sixty percent of the Bitcoin network's collective hash rate. Not only does China manufacture most of the world's mining equipment, but massive mining farms are located there to take advantage of extremely cheap electricity prices. So this is uh, just so people understand. Hashing power by country. So this is the trying to solve the equations to get the Bitcoins, right? So of the, uh, of the worldwide, let's give a little quiz out there, right? So China has 65% of the worldwide mining hash, po hash power breakdown. 65%. Anybody want to guess 
what the next number is down from that. I'm, I'm going to go on a, a – I'm going to say 2%. <laughs> Anybody else? 8. 20. 20? We got a 2. We got a 20. Anything. It's uh, it's 7% for the USA. So China's got 65%. The USA has 7%. Russia has 7%. Kazakhstan has 6%. Malaysia has 4%. Iran has 4%. And good old Canada here cruising in at uh, 1%. 1%. Such a great educational system we got going on here. So, yeah, so China is close to 10 times the next competitor, USA and Russia, respectively, 65 versus 7 and 7%. So that's uh, that's pretty wild, right? So electricity cost is the most important factor, right, for this stuff. And uh, particularly as the mining difficulty increases, the return from bitcoins for electricity payments goes down. Uh, the least efficient miners, the ones that have to pay the most for electricity, are shut down. I'm sure they're cranking back up again now. But electricity in China is very cheap compared to most other countries. Uh, It's supplied by hydroelectric facilities or subsidized by the state. Of course, they've been cranking out these uh, coal-powered plants. And so the cheap electricity is really wild. So if you look at... um, So this is U.S. cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, This is back a ways, but... um, uh, India and China are at eight cents. Uh, USA is at twelve cents. Canada's at ten cents. Germany and Denmark at thirty-five and forty-one cents, respectively. So it just doesn't. So you know, all, all of this green stuff is just benefiting <laughs> China so much, right? Because you know, you got all this green regulations, which drives up the price of electricity, which shifts Bitcoin mining to China. Uh, China may as well be funding the environmental movement in the same way that the Saudis funded some of the environmental movement to make sure that domestic production of oil in particular was not going to occur. They could make a massive amount of money, right? So let's see what else we got here for. Oh, this is by province. Not. I, that. Was, going, I was going to say, and yep. um, all of the cheap coal is coming straight from my country right here. So Australia is sending almost all of the coal that China runs um, their country on and when they tried to recently um, sanction us through uh, because we demanded you know transparency over the coronavirus thing and actually uh, coordinate and world health organization investigation they decided to basically stop all our imports and suddenly all these chinese cities started having blackouts because they couldn't power their cities because the kind of coal they can find in um china is not as efficient at being burnt so they're all of so they started buying through india who was importing all its coal from us right i was reading about that it's a joke it's a joke yeah, it's, uh, it's, of course, only uh, it's only for show. It's only for theater. Okay. Now, China, of course, coal is the cheapest source of uh, energy, pretty much. Uh, and uh, whether you like it or not, it's also dirty in, in some ways. But you can there's, – there's clean coal as well. But so uh, in 2006, coal was 79% of China's electricity generation. 2030, uh, what are they projected to be down to from 79%? What do you think? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? I think it's similar. Yeah. They, they, so they're, they're clamming, clawing it down from 79% in 2006. Quarter of a century later, it's going to be down to 75%. So they're knocking 4% off their coal production. Because right now, it's just way too profitable to turn coal into bitcoins, right? So energy producers can freely burn coal and use the energy for Bitcoin mining. Instead of physically transporting the coal, you know, they just 
do the Bitcoin mining right next to the course. And they convert carbon directly to crypto. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So China is home to four of the five largest Bitcoin mining pools. And uh, I won't get into all the details about that. You can check out the whole article itself. So people don't like the fact that the Chinese have so much control over Bitcoin. And look, I understand that. Totalitarian dictatorship, I did a whole documentary on that. You should check it out at freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. Now, China, of course, also is trying to create its own digital currency, although given how much the price of Bitcoin has gone up, I think that probably is on hold. But let me make a very, very brief case as to why this is a delightfully wonderful thing, which is... Um, China has massive influence on Western governments. The more value that China has in Bitcoin, the more it's going to pressure Western governments to not reduce the value of Bitcoin. Because what does China want to do with its Bitcoin? It wants to buy up the West <laughs> the same way it wants to buy up and, and is largely doing it, Australia. And so it wants Bitcoin to have high value in the West so that they can use the Bitcoin they've generated to translate it into taking... So in the long run, is this good? Well, no. <laughs> But in the short run versus, you know, for the people who have Bitcoin in particular, um, you and I can't call up elected representatives in our supposedly democratic regimes and, and get better. The Chinese sure can. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Chinese have compromise on just about every Western politician of influence and significance. And so they can make sure that they keep very much at bay anything that harms the value of Bitcoin. So while I'm not a big fan of communist regimes and it's very subsidized, it's not a free market situation. It's not a free market in the situation, the high price of electricity here either. But uh, it's important to remember that when the world's most aggressive totalitarian regime is heavily invested in Bitcoin, there's an upside. Uh, you know, you, you got to look for the silver lining in these things. And I do believe that there is a significant upside that anybody who messes with the value of Bitcoin is also messing with the Chinese Communist Party, and they've been known once or twice in history to act fairly assertively in, in protecting their own interests. I'm just saying their interests and our interests happen to be somewhat aligned uh, at the moment in terms of the value of Bitcoin. So, uh, yeah, yay, China. <laughs> I mean, this is where we are in the world. So I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I'm happy to hear counter arguments, but uh, I think that's the upside to the downside. I, uh, that's a pretty good case. absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, there's... Um there's a gallery of about 50 pictures from Chinese politicians next to U.S. politicians. And uh, just from the energy in the pictures, you know who is in control. Well, and China, of course, heavily invested in U.S. treasuries. And, you know, I, I don't mean to, to mine the stereotype, so to speak, but let's say that East Asians are fairly good at math. You know, because of the complexity of rice harvesting or whatever it is that you, whatever Malcolm Gladwell explanation you want. Let's just say that they have a tiny edge on mathematical calculations. You don't need to be a math genius to know the unsustainability of U.S. Treasury. So, if they're looking at taking a loss on U.S. Treasuries, if the value of the U.S. dollar goes down, where are they going to put their money? Where are they going to put their resources? They're going to put their resources into itty-bitty coins, right, into Bitcoins, because they'll be able to buy out much more of the West with Bitcoins than they will with fiat. And so, yeah. Yay, we're all on the same side. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of strange, I know. Makes strange bedfellows, right? Uh, somebody says, I'm the one Asian that can't do math. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to. Sorry, we don't allow any breaking of stereotypes here in this conversation. 
I'm sorry. Um, I, in fact, will give birth to an ostrich uh, through my forehead during the course of this conversation. So, It does appear that the amount of government debt, that the numbers don't really matter anymore, and it's just the degree of control, because they seem so nonsensical at this point. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, of course... Whether fiats are falling relative to other fiats, uh, as I've said before, it's kind of like a bunch of people jumping out of a plane, looking at each other and saying, well, we're not falling relative to each other. It's like, yeah, but relative to the ground, i.e. math to fiat, uh, you, you kind of are. Okay, so those are the major things I wanted to cover. I'm, I'm all ears for people who are more specialized and, and have greater expertise in this area than I am. If there's any yearning burnings that you got cooking in your brains that you want to share with us, I'd be very happy to hear. Those are the major things I wanted to get across today. So I can add, add, add uh, something, guess kind of rumor millish. Not really sure how uh, what's what is substantive to it, but uh, someone who was was arguing to me, and they were making a uh, technical case. I couldn't really follow it about how uh, the plan with the U.S. fiat situation and our obscene debt is that eventually within the banking system they're going to call our debt and force us back to some kind of austerity and. Uh, Basically, what's going to happen is they're largely going to like cancel large swaths of debt and force us actually back to some gold settlement, All right, or we're going to have to pay up our gold to like cancel our debt or something like that. And basically, saying in the long run that uh, saying like just hold an ounce of gold because you'll be, you know, obscenely wealthy in the day that that happens. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of rumor mill that I had heard. I don't know well, what's but, true to that. So, but financial revaluations are contingent upon the riot factor now, right? So, uh, in, in the past, uh, if you look at places in in Europe, and and in Europe is the one I know the best, right? All the way Roman Empire to the French Revolution to Weimar Republic and all. So, if you look at tidy whitey Western countries, when there's a financial revaluation, when there's a death and rebirth of a currency when there's significant recessions and depressions, you know, we kind of go along. We find a way to survive. We don't burn down cities. We don't like this kind of stuff, right? But now, for a variety of reasons, we don't have to get into it at the moment unless people are absolutely fascinated. But right now, political calculations involve the riot factors. I mean, there's no question in my mind if Trump had won the election there would have been mass riots, burnings, like uh, incredible uh, bloodshed and so on in American uh, cities. Because you saw that all summer, right? You saw that all summer, you know, billions of dollars in property damages, hundreds of lives lost. But, you know, because apparently rioting, you see, is the, is the language of the unheard, unless it's got anything to do with the capital and Trump supporters, in which case they're just insurrectionists and, and trying to overthrow the government. And it's just a double standard you'd expect, right? But Right now, when people are looking at, oh, should we monetize the debt? Should we cancel the debt? Should we renege on the debt? And so on. What they have to deal with is, okay, what's going to happen in the inner cities if the checks start coming? Is, is it cheaper for them to just print money and keep sending checks? Or is it cheaper for them to, I don't know, call out the National Guard and attempt to put down insurrections in 50 cities or, or riots in 50 cities? I mean, I think that we are at that place. This is why I got bored of politics and didn't really haven't been covering politics since last summer. Is it now... Like once the riot factor has taken over, you know, like I did a show, a show with Michelle Malkin some years ago about a, uh, a cop who, you know, he was accused of bad things by some blacks. And, and I don't believe that people really thought that he was guilty. It's just like, OK, well, if we don't throw him in jail, there's going to be a lot of riots. And you see this kind of pressure going on, not just from the black community, it's from a wide variety of communities. And, and Antifa is not exactly a, a black centric community. 
But there is this issue of, okay, how do we make decisions in politics anymore? And I think the riot factor, the the um, taking over of various parts of cities, the the burn downs, the you know, it's really, really expensive uh, when there are riots and you know, fiat has to fall pretty far before that becomes a good cost benefit and losing control of the cities in, in particular areas and in ways and all the negative PR that that has for politicians and all of that. So yeah, the, the riot factor, uh, that's what I think about when I think about, okay, what are they going to do with the debt? Well, they're going to keep the can going as long as possible. And what they're going to hope for, and I think that maybe they thought, or maybe it is, maybe they thought COVID was the way. Say, hey, man, we're out of money. It's not our fault. It's COVID. And and don't blame us. Don't get too mad. It's just, or some natural disaster. The way they used to do this, as you know, when they couldn't pay their bills, uh, they just went to war, right? And because you can impose austerity on a population through war in a way that you simply can't through peacetime. Now, war is not really an option uh, at the moment, not just because of the obesity of the Americans, but the fact that, you know, it's just weapons of mass destruction has made war as the solution to government debt kind of off the table. So I think they're all hoping for some natural disaster, and again, maybe COVID's the thing, where they can get out of the debt in some remotely plausible fashion without actually bringing math to a mathematically illiterate population. Sorry, long ramble, but that's, uh, I think that, that the riot calculation, I think, is what's going on in Washington at the moment, and that's why politics is not, you know, not, not a philosophical um, arena anymore. Yeah. Well, then that's like, that's by design at this point. Isn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think so. All right. We've been going for a good old chunk of time. Anybody with some closing thoughts? I don't have any. Uh, I'm, I'm empty. I'm done. Jared, go for it. Look I've at the camera. Got, Look at the camera. Don't I've make always, me come over yes, there. There you go. You. Thank you. Yes, appreciate it. And remember, none of this is investment advice. Nobody's telling you what to do with your money. We're just talking about our thoughts. And, you know, most people here have crypto. And just remember, or like, I really want people to be clear about this because it's your money. It's your choice. It's your decision. I have a philosophy, and I'm sure you guys all, all share it. You know, we don't tell people what to do. It's it's information, reason, and evidence. You've got to make your own decisions with your own money. But don't make any decisions based upon what we're saying. Double check, triple check everything and make your own decisions with your own sovereign free will and consciousness. I just want to sort of point that out. Yeah. Uh, Amen. Right. Go ahead. Any, anybody else wanted to throw I've, something in? Yeah, I've got one small closing thought. Yeah, please. Um, if the financial system goes down, gold's going to crash as well because everyone's got to be scrambling to cover their positions. Um, and it could go up again. But, I mean, relative to what? Probably to Bitcoin. <laughs> um, and the America going to war part? they could never pull it off successfully with China. China's just eyeing Taiwan. Um, and if you cancel the debt and you can't go to war, where are you going to import goods from? China? <laughs> like, there's no way out of this. Well, there is a way, uh, I think. Um, it's just uh, somewhat crypto-based, at least in my my opinion. But uh, yeah, there's, there's not going to be a war with China. And of course, now that Biden's in, China's going to be more aggressive with Taiwan. That's pretty predictable. So, all right. A anything else? Like, I want to cut anyone off. Don't don't kick yourself later for not having said something if you want to. It doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't I mean, Lord knows we're not. So anything anybody wants to add, go for it. Ho hopefully, we'll get some uh, states that use crypto. The century popping up after some might collapse. Well, it's interesting if they use states. If they use crypto, are they really states? That's a whole other question. Uh, I would You're argue right about that. somewhat to the contrary. <laughs> Actually, this is something I forgot to bring up when I was uh, talking about the value proposition of Tezos is that, if I recall correctly, there's a Swiss village that used the Tezos chain to disperse their uh, their COVID relief funds. But you know, 
I'm pretty sure that's the case. And, and same with like there's uh, France because Arthur Bretman, the founder, is French, and uh, France has an interest in, in Tezos. Uh, apparently, they're looking into it for some of their stuff. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, we like those real world test cases. All right. Going once I, again. I, I I hate anyone go to bed saying, "Oh, I should have said something." Going once, going twice for the the close off. Uh, anybody here? Um, I've got one question. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, stabilization of Bitcoin. Is that necessary? Will it happen? Any ideas on it, or will the price just fluctuate, and will people accept it? I think it will be stabilized when it's approximately ninety-five percent of the world economy. Uh, then I think it would be very. We got a ways to go. It's a little bit of a little bit of a speed bump between the here and the there, but I, I don't want Bitcoin to be uh, to be stable uh, because stable means it stopped growing, or rather, it's only growing relative to the world economy as a whole. So I want it to. Um, my particular perspective, I want Bitcoin to go up in value because people recognize its value. I want people to cash it out so that they broadcast its value to other people who only view fiat as currency. And then I want uh, more and more people to recognize its value. And so for me, uh, I don't want it, you know, obviously oscillating like uh, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones' uh, mood, but uh, I do want it to be uh, stepping up in a semi-consistent manner, which I think it's been doing uh, over the last year or two. Uh, I do want more and more people to get invested and get interested in it. Uh, there's a splash benefit to all cryptos, such as Tesos and other cryptos, because of the interest in um, in Bitcoin. Uh, I do not want any kind of stability. It's like saying, Steph, do you want stability in the growth of your show? No. <laughs> I want it to grow like... Uh, uh, anyway, so insert growth analogy. I'm out. I'm done, man. But um, no, so I would not look for stability. In other words, I would not say, well, you know, if I'm going to put my money in Bitcoin, it's going to be the same pretty much in a year. I wouldn't particularly spend a penny of my own thing that way. But um, stability is is not the name of the game towards the end of an empire. Stability is not the name of the game towards the end of an empire. And uh, uh, I think uh, being nimble, being quick, uh, because we're like the mammals beneath the feet of the dinosaurs. Uh, there's a big giant asteroid in the sky, which is probably going to change things a little. Uh, but uh, nimbleness, I think, uh, and uh, quick-wittedness, I think, is is of most value at the moment. Not uh, and Stability is not something I'm looking for. I don't bring stability. I don't look for stability. I don't respect stability. No, I just that's my particular thought. All right, well, thank you. I, w- As- I was going to say that uh, it's stability compared to what? You know, like some of the currencies in the in the world are like completely like much more unstable than bitcoin and gold and then, has been pretty stable right and gold yeah. has been relatively stable mm-hmm. and if you like gold I, you're probably yeah. not super happy right uh, well, i used to bread. say it's like you know they say you have to outrun a you don't have to outrun the bear you just have to outrun your friend yeah. and then <laughs> in the same way bitcoin doesn't have to be better than the dollar right now it just needs to be better than the boulevard or you know whatever they're using in the ukraine it just needs to outcompete for the uh in those countries a quick question uh, which tesos wallet do you use that gives you the ability to vote i don't even know what that question means but i'm passing along anyway yeah thank you i, I saw that i was just i was going to bring that up um so right now voting is only done by the stakers by the people who are actually processing the transaction so like someone who's using a wallet to stake their coins to a delegator, uh, they would not have the option to vote. The, the delegator would be voting on their behalf. But from my understanding, that is looking into being corrected so that uh, eventually in the future, individuals can delegate their, their to- tokens to one person but stake independently. 
so at the moment, there's not a wallet to do that. You just you have your your whoever you're delegating to is going to vote on your behalf. And usually, the big institutions like Coinbase and stuff they pass on the votes. From my recall, chickens. All right. Okay, good. Well, listen, I really, really appreciate everybody dropping by today. Thank you so much. Uh, at some point, we may open this up to a wider audience for the true chaos of free market uh, interactions. But uh, really, really appreciate uh, uh, yourself, uh, Princess Leia, dropping by. Fantastic uh, to get your insights. We really appreciate hearing from the upside down under. It's great to hear how the uh, how tomorrow, the world of tomorrow lives. And uh, yeah, thanks, of course, to all of our Chinese friends who are listening in. Uh, it's uh, wonderful to be so aligned with our interests together uh, and to hands across the ocean. Love you guys. Keep, uh, keep, keep mining, keep influencing politics to, to, to keep everything <laughs> good. And uh, appreciate that. If you'd like to help out uh, this conversation, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Hugely appreciated. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you're low on cash, it's been a tough year for everyone. Please, please hold on to it yourself. But, you know, if you're flush, you want to help out a little, it's certainly appreciated. Thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, and uh, we will, uh, I don't know, we'll try and come up with some good regular schedule for this. Uh, right now, it's a little spastic, but uh, we're just not into stability, right, brothers? All right. <laughs> okay, thanks, everyone. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.